Welcome back to the Inclusive and Online Podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Kate. And I'm Kayla. And together, we're your hosts for the Inclusive and Online Podcast. On this month's episode, we take a deeper dive into inclusive syllabi. I borrowed this statement from Stanford's website. The syllabus is the first opportunity you will have to give students an impression of your course. In addition to providing an overview of your course policies and goals, a well-designed syllabus can demonstrate your teaching style, values, and commitment to helping each student in your course. Centering your syllabus around equity and inclusivity in this way can contribute to overall student success in your courses. As a student, the way the syllabus is written really impacts my perception of the course as well as the professor. I have been in courses where instructors have been very strict and not mindful of their students and their syllabi. A very harsh tone throughout the syllabus not only worries me about my success in the course, but also how approachable the instructor will be. However, when instructors are more mindful towards their students in the syllabus, such as being sensitive to real-life circumstances a student may go through during the semester results in the, the course and the professor feeling much more welcoming and approachable. I completely agree, Kayla. As a person myself who has dealt with anxiety over approaching professors in classes I've taken in the past, I think that there's definitely a balance that instructors can strike to present themselves as both knowledgeable, but also approachable and and an understanding person to their students. The anxiety that students can feel can be a barrier, one of many barriers that students might feel when seeking additional support within a course, whether that be with the course content itself or external circumstances. To help us with this discussion, I've invited one of my research colleagues to join us. Dr. Alicia Magruder is the Director of Learning Design and Faculty Development at Johns Hopkins Whiting School of Engineering. She has an extensive background in instructional design and faculty development, and we're happy to have her join the show. Welcome, Alicia. To start, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your academic journey? Sure, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you all. So as you said, I'm the Director of Learning Design and Faculty Development, and in my role, I supervise our instructional design team. Uh, We have 12 instructional designers now. We've actually doubled since COVID. Um, And we also have a really robust faculty development uh, programming. Uh, We call it Faculty Forward Academy. And in terms of my academic uh, past, I do have a doctorate in educational technology. It's actually technically curriculum and instruction. Uh, And I received that from University of Florida in 2015. And as you mentioned, Dan, I have done some research with you and uh, I've done other research projects and I'm mostly interested in instructional design and faculty development and of course, online teaching and learning. Um, So that's a little bit about me. I'm actually uh, joining you from Germany. So that's also something fun. Absolutely. I wish I was joining us from Germany. to kind of jump into our topic. um, What does inclusive syllabus language mean to you? So I've thought about the word inclusive a lot and in terms of language in our courses, to me it means uh, providing a sense of welcoming and belonging for students. So I, I didn't mention this in my intro, but I also was a classroom teacher before I went into higher education. And the first day of school was always a big deal, right? So you want to make sure 
when you um, have your students come into your classroom for the first time that you've established a really welcoming environment that they feel comfortable and safe and that you're able to, uh, you know, get them to open up for you basically. So I think that that's a key to learning is, is that they feel like they belong. So to me, that's mainly what I think inclusive language means. And in what ways does the syllabus set the overall tone for the classroom environment? Yeah, so I thought about this a lot. So the syllabus, it's kind of a funny thing because uh, it's almost like something we, a checkbox, you know, where we're like, we've got to have a syllabus. It's a requirement. But it's also the first thing students will see when they come to the course, or we put a lot of emphasis on it, like review the syllabus, read the syllabus, make sure you understand what's in the syllabus. And students take it seriously too. I think that they do refer to it a lot as they go through the course in the semester term or whatever. Um, so I look at it as the place where they're going to access info about the course. I actually go back to the syllabus a lot too, myself as the instructor. Um, and I think in the syllabus setting, the tone is a part of that welcoming message when they enter the course. When I was a student, because I actually um, did you know, traditional face-to-face -face learning for my undergraduate, but then for my master's and doctorate, it was mostly online. I, I would print out the syllabus. I would hole punch it and put it in my three ring binder. And yes, of course, this is, um, I had digital options, but I still wanted that to be at my fingertips. So to me, it was really important. And I carry that through with me in my work as, uh, you know, instructional design and then also teaching. Uh, so I think that that's, it's a really important part of our courses. I mean, we, like I said, we often require it. Um, I think, I don't know anybody who doesn't require a syllabus and it's almost like a contract of sorts. Uh, so a super important part of our courses. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I like what you mentioned there about how, and, and I have a background in, in classroom teaching, um, like, you know, K through eight as well. And you do really think about how to first introduce students to your class. And it's very, very intentional. And I think that there are a lot of parallels with that in higher ed that have to do with this conversation about introducing your class in an inclusive syllabus. And I think that that's a really interesting point that you make there. Kind of shifting, you, you talked a little bit about like the in-person versus the online courses. And online courses, I think, people often have the misconception that they're less personable due to distance between students and instructors. Um, in what ways do you think the syllabus tone for online courses can help address that perception? Yeah, you know, it's been a long time since I taught in person. <laughs> um, maybe some of our listeners too, but uh, I do recall that when I did teach in the classroom that I would spend that whole first meeting with the students going through the syllabus as a as a matter of discussion. So we used it as a way to, to discuss what the expectations were for the course. Um, it was a conversational kind of activity. It wasn't so much like formal. Um, and I, I don't think it needs to be any different in an online course. So I do think that we can use it as a conversational discussion piece to help welcome the students into their, our courses. Uh, to help them understand what our expectations are. And then, of course, there's always the institutional expectations and um, resources that we want to provide as well. Uh, but I do think it's a really great place for 
instructors to connect with their students at the, at the beginning of the course. And it does set the stage for how the course will you know, move along, regardless of being online or in person. <laughs> right, or even hybrid, a little bit of a mix of both. Um, mm -hmm. My courses, what I've been doing more so this past academic year is being more intentional about including, you know, some outs for the student. And what I mean by that is that just letting them know that I understand you're a person, you're a complex being with multiple needs and wants, and you may have a job, you might have a family, you might have to work to support your family. There, there are so many different things going on. So I've included something about, you know, more along the lines of just being mindful of this. If you need a break and you need to step away, that's okay. Come ask for help. And that oftentimes is the hardest, you know, part of this, but that's been part of my more intentional way to be inclusive of <clears throat> everything else that's kind of non-academically related in that as well. Um, and it, I changed the language that I'm using and the tone of that within my own syllabi, uh, you know, from that point forward. So with that kind of context, how do you think that, you know, the language used in, in its tone play a role in creating that inclusive syllabus and classroom environment? Yeah, I mean, I think that one, so I, there's an exercise, I teach a workshop for a professional organization around uh, inclusive language. It's not totally around that, but it's a, about UDL accessibility and so forth. And I think we're going to probably talk about that a little bit too. Uh, but I think that it's an opportunity that we shouldn't neglect. Um, and I really like, Dan, how you said that you give them sort of an, um, you set the stage where it's okay to be a human being, basically. Um, so it's humanizing the, the learning because oftentimes, and if you go through any kind of um, jargon that you have to include in a syllabus, like for our institution, we have to, we're required to include certain things, statements on accessibility, statements on this or that. Uh, it's often written not from a student-friendly perspective, but from a legal perspective. So uh, if if you're not thinking about the syllabus and as a sort of I want to say living document, <laughs> but like you have a chance to introduce instructor presence from the get go. So it's a it's a really I, that's why I was I really like what you're saying about including this uh, idea of you're a person, I'm a person. Let's be people together. This is our learning environment together. And that goes back to the idea of being welcoming and, and belonging. Um, and it's important to relay the logistics and, and, you know, sort of our legal, you know, dot our legal I's and cross our legal T's. But uh, we can pad that with student-friendly language and first-person language. So why not say I your instructor, whatever you want to say. Um, I don't see why that's, you know, uh, anyway. So I think that that is a way to set the tone is to um, really emphasize that personal relationship between the instructor and the students. And speaking to that, uh, you know, invoking presence right off the get-go, I think that's a, a strong point to be made there in that I try to be very present for courses, especially fully online courses, because mm -hmm. it, maybe I'm just hyper aware of that that misconception of them not being 
a personal type course, but by doing this and not telling people, this is why I'm doing this, you know, so that you realize I'm present mm -hmm. or <clears throat> I don't respond to every one of your forum posts every week for fun. I have other ways to have fun. It's, it's to be present, to let them know there's a person here and that, you know, you, I, I care about their, their general uh, well-being. So it doesn't matter, you know, where you're coming from, if it's a personal issue, whatever that is, I don't need to know why. I just need to know mm -hmm. that you need some help and some flexibility and, and being able to offer that, I think really does set such a positive tone and working environment uh, there where it's not just the student is there as a transaction to accept what I'm saying to them. It's, it's much more back and forth relationship building. And mm -hmm. oftentimes that's what comes out in post-course evaluation is that, you know, this instructor was very present. I was very pleased with this. And, you know, for me, it's, it's part of what I share and how I build my syllabi to be inclusive and, you know, very adaptable for the student as well. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, I, as the instructor, I'm coming to you as a whole person and I'm ready to accept you as a whole person as well, using that I language, like I am present here in this document. And, and I mm -hmm. think people appreciate and recognize that authenticity, which I think leads to a richer, you know, arena for learning in those discussions that we have. Yeah, it's something that uh, I don't know that I really thought about until I started facilitating this workshop, but it's just such a simple thing to do. <laughs> and just to not speak in, in a sort of impersonal language, switch it to I, we, because we're in it together, you know, um, it's such a simple thing that people can do. And you don't have to change institutional policy language to do that. You can pad it with your own interpretation or whatever, because often those, and maybe I'm jumping into some other questions you're going to have, but often those policies are very um, cut and dry and personal, um, logistical. They're not about you and me. They're about, these are things we are doing to protect you or to protect us, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's a very simple thing to do to make a more welcoming environment. Um, and kind of building off of that last question, what are some things to consider when thinking about students and being mindful to their needs when creating a syllabus? There's an Inside Higher Ed article that talks about the irony of how this, when we create syllabi for uh, accessibility purposes, maybe inclusive purposes, if we're thinking that far, they're often exclusive and inaccessible. Um, so... I tend to agree with that. It's a, it's a bit of an irony there. Like I said, much of, at least in my institution, a lot of the syllabus is required. So we have like, we, we have templates and, and our faculty, you know, reproduce the templates and then add in their own information. Um, so there's always that tone of legalese, that legal jargon. Uh, and then in terms of uh, accessibility specifically, there's, uh, it's often in terms of uh, compliance or speaking about disabilities, but being exclusive to certain types of disabilities that you expect, like if you're hearing impaired or um, have a visual impairment. Um, but as we know, there's a lot of other disabilities beyond those. Um, someone could have ADHD or a chronic illness or um, some mental illness, you know. Um, and I'm going off a little bit on a tangent, but I even, when I would taught a couple of years ago, I had a um, student who, because I teach a unit about accessibility, she didn't even realize that she had uh, a 504 plan that followed with her. It was something that she learned from the class. 
So a lot of students don't even understand that they have the rights that they have. So anyhow, when we are able to include, I want to say include inclusive language, uh, we can help students learn about these things. So we can also support students who may not even know that they have resources or support available to them. Um, and I think that that's being mindful of their needs. Um, and like I said, you know, we can add as much commentary as we want around those institutional policies. I also wanted to mention that um, a phrase that I've seen used, which I really love, is it's never too late to request accommodations. Our bodies and circumstances are continuously changing. And that to me was like a really powerful statement. Um, because it, like Dan, you're talking about a little bit earlier, we don't know what a student might end up going through. I think COVID taught us a lot about that. Um, situations, circumstances changed for students a lot. We don't, and we can't make those presumptions. But even beyond a, a global pandemic, you know, we we just don't know what a student is experiencing. And to provide them that flexibility and that um, that ability to be who they are authentically is really important, I think. Um, so that's that's a little bit about how I think it's we can be mindful when we're creating our syllabus. So I have a, a question here. In my undergrad experience and some of my post-undergrad, I've had, you know, some courses like, say, you know, math courses that are more kind of like the, we say that they're to weed out or to, you know, to help place people, this or that. And I've I've had professors in some of those courses and other courses come out and right, say, more than half of you are going to fail this class. <laughs> what an encouraging way to start a course, right? But then I also look at, you know, some, <clears throat> um, you know, no institution is immune from a diverse faculty as well, coming from around the world. Their cultures, you know, come in, um, how they learn plays a factor, just like, you know, I, I often teach the way that I liked to learn, um, same type of thing here. So we should note, you know, that a, fa a faculty member's dominant culture, their home culture, you know, could play a role in their willingness to create that inclusive environment. And how can we keep in mind cultural differences for both faculty and students when it comes to making recommendations on developing uh, inclusive syllabi? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this a lot recently. Um, what I've noticed, we tend to take for granted that we probably are teaching students who are like us, like you're saying. But that's not necessarily true. We actually have quite a bit of a diverse and global student base in my programs, at least. Um, but if you look at how we set things up, like even just holiday schedule, it's very dominated by Western culture. So, you know, we have Christmas break, or we I think we call it holiday break, but it always is around the Christmas time, right? Like we don't have sure. holiday break in October. And that seems to dominate. So, you know, thinking about these cultural differences, I think acknowledging different cultures in our courses can be a very powerful step. Um, one way to do that would be maybe including non-Western holidays on a calendar. So like most LMSs have a course calendar. So why not add some of those non-Western holidays on that? Just even that little step might make a few students feel like, oh, wow, they're really noticing that that this is something that I appreciate from my culture. Um, maybe even adding into your own course policy. I know some institutions might be more rigid about this than others, but maybe they have the flexibility to 
check out on those holidays. So including that in your syllabus, like if you celebrate this holiday, don't worry about responding on that day, you know, even if it's not one that the institution recognizes. I think institutions are getting better about recognizing these, but um, we definitely have a Western dominance <laughs> in our approaches to our courses. So that's just something that I was thinking of. How we've talked a little bit about institutional policies and kind of the legal language, um, but how do you think that course policies can play a role in an inclusive syllabus? Yeah, so I think uh, that is one of the beauty of being an instructor in higher ed, at least for the moment, <laughs> is we do have some uh, freedom to add our own course policies. Uh, and if we, as instructors, value inclusivity and belonging, then we can create policies in our courses that support those things. So like I said, you know, maybe acknowledging that you might have a different um, holiday than that's not around Christmas time <laughs> or um, your new year is different than, than the new year that I celebrate. So as instructors, we have the ability to be thoughtful about that. So I think um, that's just one thing. Um, we could also include, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways that you can include um, things like netiquette or like setting the expectations for how the students um, interact with one another and with the instructor and modeling that as well, I think is important. Now that kind of gets outside of the syllabus, but you can state that explicitly. And I think, Dan, you were mentioning that too, like being really upfront, this is intentional. This is something that I um, value. And these are the things that um, I'm doing to support these things that I value. So course policies gives us a little more freedom, I think. And like you said before, it, it's about creating a conversation too, right? So, you know, you're presenting these course policies, but it is it is opening up a conversation with the students on what this means for them and how that's going to impact them throughout the course. And, and even creating space for them to offer their own feedback on that um, mm -hmm. can be a, a step, I think. Totally. And I know we touched a bit on accessibility a little bit in a couple questions ago, but I wanted to ask, what role does accessibility play in, in creating an inclusive syllabus? Yes, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're actually including inclusivity in relationship to accessibility, because I don't, uh, I think, at least in the culture of higher ed, it's changing a bit, but up to date, I think it's been more around those legal matters, because institutions get sued. I mean, we see it. I, I, there was recently a, a, a settlement on a case um, that we're all paying attention to. So, you know, there is legality that has to be acknowledged. Um, and obviously we have that in our syllabus. Um, but with that, like I said before, there's that impersonal legal jargon, which doesn't, and often it, because it is legal jargon, may not be understandable for students. Um, so if we are able to interpret it for them or to um, start a conversation about it, like you were saying, Kate, um, that could be a way to be more inclusive and welcoming. And going back to that phrase, uh, it's never too late to request accommodations. Our bodies and circumstances are continuously changing. I think it's powerful because, um, have you all read the book Reframing Disability? I mean, is that what it's called? 
reframing disability. Um, anyway, we had a book club. I'll send you the information about it, but it's all about, uh, it's written by a disabled person who would like to um, help us talk about this more freely. And uh, it's actually a way of being more accessible, I think. Um, and one of the things that she mentions is, you know, we often say a disabled person or somebody with a disability, there's a couple ways to, to phrase it. Um, and uh, then if you're non-disabled, that's kind of what we say, non-disabled. But her point was, you're just currently able-bodied. So anyway, we cannot know what will happen to our bodies or circumstances. And letting students know this is okay is really amazing. Uh, and that's why I think that we should consider accessibility in relationship to our inclusive syllabus. And also, like I said before, there are, you know, other types of disabilities that um, are not physical. Uh, and we can't assume that students are coming into our courses with, I guess, you can't tell, right? So there might be hidden disabilities that we have to acknowledge. And being able to include that in our syllabus, I think, would be very powerful. I think even just making sure that your syllabus adheres to digital accessibility standards as, you know, kind of a baseline mm -hmm. so students who might need to use a screen reader to navigate your syllabus can. Because, you know, if you're not at that base level providing that accessible document for the students, they might not even be able to engage with all of those changes you made in terms of your inclusive language and, and the content they're including in it. Yeah, and you can easily draw back on like Maslow and the hierarchy of needs. If your basic need, needs aren't being met, then we're going to have trouble climbing up to get to the higher level needs. That's a good point. And what would you say to a professor who refutes the importance of inclusive, of an inclusive syllabus or someone who thinks that we're not here to be warm and fuzzy? As I mentioned, I work with engineering faculty, <laughs> and this is something I could imagine uh, encountering. I would suggest that students are perceptive, perceptive and they can tell right away if an instructor is engaged, right? Um, I, I argue that inclusivity is a form of engagement. So if you're being inclusive and you're thinking about how can I, how can I be welcoming, how can I uh, encourage a sense of belonging, then you are engaging with your students automatically. Um, and I don't think that um, anyone can argue that instructor engagement is needed in an online course. Like that's just a fundamental aspect of online learning. So if we are saying that engagement um, is important and if we consider including a sense of belonging or fostering a sense of belonging as a part of engagement, um, then I think that we could probably talk someone into it. <laughs> um, I've, I've noticed that so I don't have like any, I haven't done research on this, although I suppose we could, um, that the more welcoming and engaging that you create your environment, the learning environment, that students will um, be more engaged themselves. So it's sort of a back and forth. And I think we've talked about that a little bit. Um, I think that if they sense that you're in it with them, they're going to be willing to work harder, to be more conversational to participate more in the course and the discussions uh you know as I said I've had a lot of online learning myself and there are definitely those courses where I'm like this instructor has does not care at all 
like there, this is a course I could do completely without any interaction with this instructor. And so I don't, you know, I, I went through those courses, just, you know, checking off the boxes and just trying to get the grade and, you know, that's it, that's done. But then there were courses where I knew the instructor really cared and it was awesome. It was really fun and cool. And I learned arguably more, I would say, or at least longer lasting learning because they, you know, it sticks with me. It's really engaging in that content because you feel welcome too. I think it does matter. Um, so do you think that an inclusive syllabus can translate into inclusive practices in your learning management system? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, I think if we're talking about, well, often our syllabi are electronic. Um, I don't know which, I mean, LMS agnostic, either they're as a part of the course or as a, a file that one might download or whatever. So I don't think that we can we can ignore the fact that the learning space is electronic or digital. <laughs> In our courses, we try to offer uh, different versions of materials. For example, I, I'm going to go a little bit outside of the syllabus, but we could probably actually have a video syllabus perhaps. But anyway, if when we have our videos in our courses, we have the transcripts that come with the videos. So there's closed captioning on the videos. Then there's the text transcript that's like automated with, actually we have um, human transcripts, but it's underneath the video. But then we also try to include HTML text because if you use a screen reader, then you could download that as different versions. I think, those are important elements as well. And thinking about, I mean, this goes back to universal design for learning too. So it's not just about uh, being accessible or, or, you know, but that's important, obviously. But I personally don't like to watch videos. <laughs> I'm sorry to all the people who make lots of videos, but I do like to read. And I actually will watch it if I can read along with it, but that's just the way I prefer it. Now, that's my preference. I can still watch a video, but um, I think that that's inclusive because also we have to think about our students, like, are they working professionals? And if so, maybe they're having to listen to something as they go to work. So do we have an audio version of something that doesn't have to be watched? Or maybe they have, um, uh, they're on a job where they can read something, but they can't watch something. So do you have a text version of something? So I think that that's a really important part of being inclusive as well. See, I'm a video fan because I can watch it in one and a half or two speed and uh, have the captions on and I love it. I can breeze through it, but I offer video lectures, optional video lectures for courses uh, that I teach and people enjoy them because uh, you know, you can speed it up. You can go back and forth. Those who do watch, I know because they'll, they'll comment about it. And those who don't, that's, you know, their choice. I want them to watch it, but I'm not going to create stress where it's unnecessary. And like, you know, they've, when I go to a restaurant, I'll, I'll pay for a steak. But if I don't eat the whole steak, they're not going to make me eat the whole steak. I kind of have that approach to many things in life and that they have the opportunity to acquire this, to engage in this conversation. And I think that I have a higher level of participation, you know, in the conversation and the depth part of the learning than um, than not. It's just one of those cool things that I've just kind of really been flipping things upside down. I confuse students when I say no midterms, no finals. There's going to be some reading. There's going to be some writing and discussions. And, you know, I have found that that appeals to many different <clears throat> types of ways people prefer to learn over you're going to study for this reading test. You're not going to remember any of this stuff in, you know, a week. 
And that's not what I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to help you think critically about this, to work through these issues, because that's going to help you when you do leave here. And I think people appreciate uh, that level. Yeah, going back a little bit further, too, I liked your example of potentially adding different types of holidays or things into your LMS calendar, incorporating you know that into it. I know Canvas has uh, an option for people to display pronouns if they so choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moodle does not have that. That's what we use here. There are ways to kind of work around that, but we're always open to looking at new ways to promote inclusive learning environments through our LMS. And uh, I just think being explicit that you've done those things, that's really important. I just, if a student knows that you're modeling some of this stuff, like maybe if you don't have the ability to change your pronouns, but you put your name in and you include them somehow as it's displayed, but maybe calling that out in your syllabus, like, hey, we recognize that you know, you might have a different pronoun. It's fine. I'm cool with that. Just state that in the introduction discussion or wherever. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, and kind of along these lines, um, what are your top three or four for, uh, suggestions for somebody who's ready to get started creating inclusive syllabus? Yeah, so good question. What would I do? So I think um, going back to what we've talked about before, writing in first person, I think that's like, a simple but obvious thing to do. Why not do it? Uh, if the student is reading this document and they're feeling like you're having a conversation, because again, we're we're talking about online learning, um, then that automatically personalizes the learning environment from the get-go and will hopefully connect with you individually. Maybe you could include a little bio about yourself or um, humor. I think people often underestimate humor. Dan. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> um, so that's one of my suggestions. And then I think if you have to include a bunch of that legal jargon, which I just assume most people do, you can play with that a little bit. Um, I alluded to this earlier, but perhaps you can provide an interpretation of what that legalese means. Um, maybe, again, you could have a little humor with it, being sensitive, of course. <laughs> um, but humor could be nice for students. Um, it might be controversial, but you could even put an emoji <laughs> in there. I don't know how people feel about emojis. I don't include them, but Maybe you would want to. I do actually in my discussions. I'll put emojis in discussions. But I just use clip art. Oh, that's fun. As long <laughs> as you have a good alt text there. <laughs> this is not decorative. It's really important. And then I just, I, I think I've said this already twice, but that phrase, like, it's never too late to request accommodations. Our circumstances are continuously changing. Um, just, I think that that's something that students won't forget. I feel like that's like a, my, my, uh, gold phrase right now because it just allows people to be people things happen in life and learning is really important but you know our lives around us are also equally important and being able to merge those two things fluidly is really really good for students completely agree Thanks so much for being here. That was our last question for you. Um, But we really appreciate you taking the time out from Germany to come and have (laughs) this conversation with us and, you know, hopefully introduce some ideas to our listeners that maybe they haven't considered before. So we, we appreciate it. You're very welcome. And I'll say the phrase I've been saying a lot around here, which is Ich sprich kein Deutsch. (laughs) To be inclusive, I'll translate that for you. It means I don't speak any German. (laughs) 
Love <laughs> it. Thank you all for having me. You're a wonderful bunch. Thanks, Alicia. We'd like to thank Alicia for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Inclusive Online Pod. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or request to collaborate, you can send us an email at inclusiveonlinepod at gmail.com. We'll be back next month with our next episode. Until then, we hope you feel included.